We are um, going to do things a little bit differently this morning. We're going to be taking communion here in a little bit, and we want to use the Word of God to prepare our hearts so we'll have a, a larger worship set towards the end of the message. Um, and so we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 5 through, um, we're going to be going to 17. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. Um, the 75th Ranger Regiment, I don't know how much you're familiar with the military, but it is an elite airborne light infantry combat formation with the United States Army Special Operations Command. Now, the 6th the Battalion of the modern Rangers have been deployed in wars like Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iran, and, or Iraq, and they have seen actions in Panama and Grenada. Now, they have a, large, they have a, a rich heritage, but here's basically the motto of the Rangers. This is a band of brothers that basically go in together, they stay together, and they come out together. These group of guys are some of the bravest men and there may be some women in it, but I know that there's they're just a great group of men that uh, stick together and are this band of brothers. Now, based on this group of army rangers, a handful of my friends 20 years ago, we formulated a group of people that we called the Ranger Buddies. Now, I know it's not quite as magnificent of a name as, as the army rangers, but we were the Ranger Buddies, and the idea was that we would go away once a year, and we would spend time together for three or four days as men in accountability with one another, and we would battle life together, and we would hold each other accountable to the things that we were going through. And so we would go away to do man type of things. We would do backpacking. We did mountain biking. We did rock climbing and rappelling. We did all these kind of things. But in the mornings and the evenings, we would take time to talk about our walks with God. We would talk about holding each other accountable in the things that we struggled with. Well, one year, one of my ranger buddies, Mark Miracle, brought a devotion. Now, you might know Mark because a couple months ago, he was up here sharing about the motorcycle ministry that he is a part of. That's one of my ranger buddies. He was doing a devotional, and he said, guys, as leaders, we are in the, in the church, uh, as leaders in the church, we're not exempt from sin. The fact is that the enemy probably has a bigger bullseye on our head, a bigger mark on our head, because he wants us to fall. And if he can get us to fall, it will discourage many people that are looking at our lives. And so he says, you got to realize that choice of sin is always before you. And he read a passage like what we're going to look at today that's going to talk about put to death these things, the, the earthly nature, and you are to put on Christ, the virtue of Christ. And he said, guys, it's always before us. It's always a decision, the choice of life and the choice of death. And sin is always one decision away. 
And he says, so I have something special this year that I want to challenge you with. And he gave every single one of us a Susan B. Anthony dollar. Now, this Susan B. Anthony dollar, he, he defaced American currency. It wasn't me. I want you to know that. He drilled a hole through it, and it's been my keychain. But it has been with me for 20 years. And he said to us, he says, I don't know if you know this, but Susan B. Anthony, her middle name means be careful. He says, well, not really, but for our purposes, Susan, be careful, Anthony, is what you're going to do. And on this coin, it says, in God we trust. And hopefully as a nation, we still believe that. He says, but for you and I, that's, a, that's what we're going to do. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm giving every single one of you one of these coins. And for the next year, you're to have this on you at all times. And it will be a reminder every time you pull out your keys in your pocket, it will be a reminder that you are to be a man of integrity, you are to live for God, and that, you're, uh, that people are watching you and your example. And he says, here's the deal. If you or I see any one of our fellow ranger buddies starting to lust or starting to lie, or starting to do something that doesn't honor God, you're to pull out the Susan B. Anthony coin and just remind them. And there's been times when there's been a pretty lady that walks by, and I see one of my ranger buddies, I'm like, Susan B. Anthony, be careful, be careful, watch your thoughts. And what this did is it brought accountability to this group of people. And I want you to know that that began one of the best years of my life in terms of having men that would hold me accountable to my actions. You say, well, Steve, why, why is that necessary? Why do you have to resort to little tricks like this of Susan B. Anthony? I mean, it's such a silly thing. No, it's not a silly thing because it has meant the world to me. And I'll tell you why specifically on the guy part guys we have a tendency to do life alone we have a tendency to isolate our life where we have no one asking us the difficult questions in life and as a result when there is no accountability in my life and i answer to nobody then i can get away with things and nobody knows about it well god does and it says in ecclesiastes it says Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. He says if one falls down, his friend, his friend can help him and pick him up. But pity the man, pity the man who has no one to pick him up. So men, I ask you the question. Women, I ask the same question. Who do you have that will pick you up? Here's the second reason why I needed that. I needed it because sin is always one decision away in my life. Just because I'm a believer in, in Christ, I am a Christ follower, does not mean I'm Superman in regards to sin. I'm not immune to it. I can do the same things I did when I was lost, but now I have a choice. And because I have a choice before me on a daily basis, I need somebody to come alongside of me in the love of Jesus Christ and say, are you walking with integrity, Steve? 
are you doing that? We're told in Deuteronomy 30, Moses wanted to lay it out before the nation of Israel, the situation they were in. He says this, he says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Days are evil. God doesn't live under some delusion that it's not evil and that everything is peaceful and harmonious among us. No, no, no. The days are evil. So here's my question this morning to us at Mission View. What kind of choices are you making? What kind of choices are you making on a daily basis? And who do you have in your life that will hold you accountable? Last week, we started in Colossians chapter 3, and I said Colossians chapter 3 starts the practical side. The first two chapters was the theological side, but now we're talking about the practical side of applying the sufficiency of Christ. If Christ is truly sufficient, what does it mean to me in a personal life? And if you did not listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen. But just in a summary... Last week, we talked about the first four four verses setting a foundation to what we're going to be talking about today. And that foundation is a focal point. We got to have our eyes glued on Christ. And in that, those four verses, it tells us that we're to have our identity set in Christ. We need to know who we are, that we're a child of the King, that we are his kids. We also need to have our hearts set on Jesus who is above in heaven. He gives us our marching orders. We have to have our minds set on Christ, not on temporary things, but on eternal things. And we need to see that our life is wrapped up in Jesus. Now, if we do these things, if we are wrapped up in Christ, then what is following in the verses that we're going to look today, we'll be able to do we will be able to make decisive decisions to put off the old self, and we will make a decisive decision to put on the virtuous characters of Christ in our life. And that character of Christ, those virtues will help us have impact. Those virtues will give us an internal stability. Anybody need internal stability? I do. So that's what we're going to look at today. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says this. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Now, I believe what Paul is writing here is he's encouraging us, actually mandating to us that we make some decisive, uh, decisive break in our life from the things that once held us. He is saying, put to death. Now, he's not giving this. God doesn't generally give mere suggestions like, hey, guys, if you feel like it, it'd be really wise if you did this. No, no, the tone right here is emphatic. 
put to death, mortify it, do it now, do it resolute. And what he is saying is that God has made a way for you as a Christ follower. We already know that. He set you free from the power of sin, so don't go and dive back into that sin. It's our job to know the truth. It's our job to count it to be true and to live it out. Friends, I hope you hear the heart of God here. Because the heart of God is very clear. We are dead to certain things and we are alive in Christ. And he is saying, I want you to give up these old ways. Parents, have you ever noticed that there are certain things that you try to teach your kids that they just don't seem to get? I don't know if that was just in my family. You know, my kids are raised now. But, for example, cleaning your room. It seemed to be an ongoing battle. Some parents have just given up. They, they just nailed shut the door and said, I will never, ever look in there again for the next decade. And they, they resolve that. But some parents, like me, sometimes would fight that battle. And what God is doing here is he's fighting a battle with us. And you know what you do as a parent? You talk to your kids. Have hey, you cleaned your room? And you get that dumb look. Huh? What, 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 are, you talking, what are you talking about? I mean, they, they just got to give that dumb look like, are you an idiot? I don't what, why, what, I Do I have a room? And then you take them to the room and you direct their head and you say, look at that crap on the floor. That's what I'm talking about. I want you to get that and I want you to put it away. Well, in a sense, that's what God is doing to the body of Christ here. He gives two lists of sins and he says, I want you to get the crud that is in your life out of it. And here's the first list. The first list is sexual sins. The second list is emotional sins. Look what he says here. He says, get rid of sexual immorality. He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, your, in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Sexual immorality is simply this. It's sexual intercourse before marriage. If you are a single person and you're having sex with somebody right now, just know that that goes against what God says. He says that's wrong, plain and simple. Some people think, well, God's a killjoy. Doesn't he know that I have needs? Come on, that I got needs. No, what God wants to do is always provide for you and always protect you. That's what he does. He doesn't want you going into marriage wondering how you compare with the many other partners that your spouse has. He wants you. That's his design. Sexual immorality. The second thing he says is impurity. This is sexual activity connected with loose living. It's the things that lead up to sexual intercourse. It is everything that happens leading to that point. I don't have to be descriptive on that. Passion. The word in the NIV is lust. This is sexual impurity in the mind. And so this is what happens in the mind and the heart with so many people, especially with pornography being so prevalent in our society and so easily accessed. Evil, de uh, evil desires. These are illicit cravings. It's like we continue in our society to invent new ways to create sexual sins. And we think, oh, I thought I saw it all, but man, I mean, I hear about this and this is crazy. There's all kinds of things like that. And finally, he says covetousness. It's greed. I want what I want when I want it. 
Now, it's interesting that covetousness is, or greed is last because I think this is the drive behind all sexual sins. Here's the thing you need to know about covetousness. It blinds us. It blinds us. Greed blinds us. And what we learn here in this passage is that a believer in Jesus Christ is capable of every single one of these sins that are listed here. My friends, I mentioned already that pornography is on the uprise because so many, it's so accessible, but it's not just with guys, it's with women. I found it interesting that 68% of the viewers that went to see Fifty Shades of Grey on opening weekend were women. Now, why was that? Now, some of you may have seen that. You may have thought there was nothing wrong with it. But here's the difficulty. I believe that as men are turned on by visual, you're turned on by the story. And you can lust, and you can have everything go on inside of you that goes on inside of a man in terms of that sin. The thoughts of uh, women can be turned on by these things, by, and have impurity, have lust, have evil desires, and it can be cultivated by the things that you read. And here's the thing for both men and women. These things grow on incremental levels. We allow this much and this much takes hold. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. And before long, men and women have a deep, deep problem. We have an addiction. And what we don't realize, because we're allowing ourselves to be deceived because of the greed, we live a lie, we live a deception, we live under this delusion, we try to keep ourselves in the dark, but we know in our heart of hearts that that is not right. And what it's doing is it's decaying the foundation of our credibility in terms of marriage, in terms of relationships, in terms of just our witness for Christ. Often in marriage, what happens is it eventually comes to a place where the man or the woman says, I have had enough, I am moving out, because these things have been allowed to happen, and usually when that takes place, it is too much, and it's beyond repair outside the grace of God. It could be. Sexual sins should not be underestimated. Sexual sins are the crack cocaine of the Christian community. It is like heroin. It is something that grabs a hold of the heart. And what Apostle Paul is saying is, I want decisive actions on the part of the body of Christ. I want you to mortify it. I want you to do it now. I want you to do it resolute. And I want you to know that this guy right here, I'm not immune from it. I can make bad decisions, and I want you to know I have accountability. I have someone that asks me the hard questions on a weekly basis or almost weekly basis. Now, then we go into the emotional sins, if that wasn't heavy enough. Emotional sins are in verse 11. Take a look at what he says, or verse 8. He says, but now you must put away all, all away anger wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. 
Here there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So what is he talking about here? When he says put away, he's basically saying, I want you to peel off, peel off that which is dishonoring to God. Now, I think this is an accurate word picture. It's kind of like that egg that you try to peel and you can't get the last bit of peelings off. That's the way it is with some of these emotional sins because they have a deep-seated root in our heart. Notice what he says. He says, I want you to get rid of anger. Anger is a chronic attitude of smoldering hatred. He says, I want you to get rid of that. He says, I want you to get rid of wrath. Wrath is an acute outburst and fits of rage. This is the verbal lashings. This is the person that throws, throws things. He says, I want you to get rid of malice. Malice is kind of the vice that serves as the root of anger and rage. It's also akin to bitterness in our hearts. Slander. It's evil speaking of other people. Obscene talk. It's shameful, abrasive speech. It's filthy language. Lies. It's distortion of truth. Now, the reason that these sins are so difficult is because they're deep-seated in our life. Were you abused by somebody and that has created anger in your heart? Were you taught early on by a parent or a sibling that the only way to express yourself was through a long list of explicit, uh, you know, descriptive words? Did you learn that the way that you succeed through life is just by lying your way? That's the path of least resistance? See, a lot of these things are things that go way back in our past. But how do we deal with them? How do we get rid of them? Well, here's a couple practical things that you can do. Number one, admit that one of these areas is a problem. Paul wouldn't be mentioning these things if he didn't want us to take inventory of our life and for us to think for ourselves, okay, what here is a problem in my life? Is it anger? Is it a sexual sin? Is it impurity? Is it lust? What is it that I need to get rid of? And then second, you need to confess that sin to God and to somebody. You say, Steve, I'd rather just keep that between God and I. Well, I understand why you would. But God hasn't designed it that way. According to James chapter 15, this is what he says. Confess your sins to each other. Hear that. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The church is sick and we need to deal with some of these things in our life. And we need to make a decisive action. Admit we have a problem. Confess our sins. And here's the final thing. Get a verse of victory. I love the fact that God gives us his word to change our mind. You know, Romans 12 says that the only way that this thing could be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. This whole body can be transformed by the renewing of the mind. In fact, in this passage, it says, get rid of the old self by the renewing. He says, this is what you're to do. You're to have the new self in the knowledge of the image of the creator. Do you know it's knowledge? It's the knowledge of God's word that's going to start to change you from the inside out. Now, notice at the very end of the passage, it says something a little strange. He says, 
Here, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. You say, well, that's kind of just stuck in there. Here's what he's saying. This isn't random. He's saying there's no distinctions between nationalities, between cultures, between economic and social classes of people. Nobody is exempt from these sins. And all believers in each of these categories, once again, are to make a decisive decision. I am going to mortify this sin. I am going to do it, and I am going to do it resolute. God is calling for men and women to make a stand, to make a decision, to work at it. And I want to encourage you to memorize the scripture in an area that you are weak so that God would give you victory. You say, well, Steve, that's going to take a little bit of work. Yes, it will. Do you want victory? Do you want to overcome? Get the accountability. Get the mind of Christ. Now, what's beautiful about God is he just doesn't say what's wrong. He tells us what's right. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put on the virtue of Christ so that you have impact, so you have inward stability. Take a look at what he says in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Now, you know what's so beautiful here? Is that Paul is saying, here, you take off these things, but guess what you get to put on? You get to put on Jesus because everything he just listed was true of Jesus Christ. And he says, I just want you to clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus Christ, here it is. I'm going to show you right there. That's wrong. Here it is. I'm laying it out for you. This is what I want. Here's what he says in his list. Compassionate heart. Think about a compassionate heart. It's having tenderness and sympathy. Ask yourself. Do I, am I pretty good at that? Some of us are horrible at compassionate heart. Don't think it's just for those with the gift of encouragement. It's for you too. It's for all of us. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. It's grace in action towards other people. It's not that they deserve it. It's because they don't deserve it that I'm going to show kindness. Do you get that? How are you doing in that? Humility. This is a lowly standing before God. But then gentleness or meekness is a lowly attitude towards others. God says, I want you to be lowly before me and lowly before others in that you're going to be a servant. Don't you see that in Jesus and how he lived? How are you doing in these areas? How about patience? Anybody already know before I describe this that this is their problem? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Okay, that's good. Patience is self-restraint. It's a steady response in the face of being provoked. It's not when everything is going good that you're to be patient. It's when things are being bad, when your kids are terrible, when you want to ship them off to Ethiopia, when you want to just ship your coworker off to Ethiopia. It's when things are bad, God says, patience, patience. 
Bear with one another. Man, I apply this all the time with Brian. Put up with each other's flaws. Can I just tell you that Monday morning we have conversations all the time. I'm like, what were you thinking when you said that? And he says, I was thinking this. And what were you thinking when you said this? And we work with each other. I love that man. I love that man. And we work well together. But we bear with one another. Do you realize that somebody beside you is probably obnoxious? Not you, just the person beside you. They have obnoxious things about them. Isn't it a miracle that we could come together, we have all kinds of likes and dislikes, certain levels of comfort that we like and discomfort that we won't de deal with. We have all these things put together in the body of Christ, and God says, work together in unity. That's why he says, bear with one another. He also says, forgive. I know this is really difficult. This is a willingness to let go of wrongs that have been done. And then he says, love. Love unconditionally. Actually, this last virtue is the, the summary virtue of all of them. That's why he says, above all, put on love. And notice what happens. When we put on love, when we start putting on these characteristics, it creates perfect harmony. What is perfect harmony? I don't know about you, but I see the world defining it one way. When I was growing up, I can remember this commercial. Tell me if this Let's reminds you of anything. buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. church service out in the middle of nowhere praying to the coke god um and and they're just this is perfect harmony let's all dress in our different national garbs that's what we're just going to be one we're going to be one with one another i know that's not going to happen in our world we know that nations will rise up against nations we know that there's going to be conflict in our world it's a pipe dream it's a a, a utopian society that everybody wishes for but it's not going to happen well let, how does perfect harmony happen Perfect harmony is how it was laid out right here. You put on the virtues of Christ. And if you put on the virtues of Christ, then what we won't make it as man. It's not going to be man-made. There will be a supernatural dynamic that takes place, and God will start to do something amongst us, and that's where we become a people of impact. People start looking at your marriage. Some people look at you in the, in the workplace. People look at us as a church and say, there's perfect harmony. We have an opportunity this summer to, in taking out the ministry trailer and, and going out to the movie nights with the, with the library. We'll talk about that later. It's a chance for the world to say, hey, there's something going on that's different at Mission View. I see these people in perfect harmony. They may not say those words, but that's what's in their mind. So how do we do that? How do we put on these virtues? 
Does it just happen? Do I sleep on my Bible at night and it just happens by osmosis in my life? It doesn't happen that way. I think, first of all, we ask God. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Not only do we ask God, but we have to actively seek these virtues. Jesus says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And here, just as I want you to memorize a verse that deals with what you have to put off, I want to encourage you to take one of those items that you are most weak in and memorize a verse that will help you deal with that. You say, Steve, that'll take work. Yes, it will, again. But how badly do we want to have this in our life? Paul says with resolute, put on Jesus, do it now, do it resolute. The final thing that we see is that we are to have an internal virtue. Three things he lists in that internal virtue. Take a look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I see three virtues that he is giving us. He's giving us the virtue of peace within. He is giving us the virtue of his word dwelling within and honor dwelling within. Let me explain. The first verse in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule. The word rule means to command or arbitrate. In other words, peace will be that very tool. If we are living out the virtues of Christ, it will be the very tool that God uses us to direct us away from what is wrong and to what is right. God will always direct us to a place of safety. He'll always do that. But not only will he do that with what is right and wrong, but he, with wisdom issues too. Have you ever had a time where you're making a transition in life and it's not a right or wrong decision? And you say, God, help me understand that. Recently, you noticed that we had Justin Nolan leading in worship. We as elders, we just, we talked with Justin and, and we love the man. He's an awesome guy. We just didn't have the peace. We've just said, we're not going to hire anybody right now. We're going to go till the end of the year, be in prayer. We're not going to be in a hurry about it. We love him, and, and we had a great conversation. And actually, he thanked the Mission View body because it was such a valuable experience for him. It was really a positive thing. But we seek the peace of God. What school do we go to? What career path should we take? Is it, uh, is it the right time to make such and such financial decision? And what I know is that God gives his peace to direct us, and he takes away his peace to help us say no. And when we listen, you'll be thankful. The time that you are about to make that financial decision, that the peace wasn't there, and you say, okay, I'm not going to do that. And then that stock crashes, and you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> There's other things in our life. It creates thankfulness. And second, internal virtue is that God's truth is there. Notice what he says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, my friends, we allow a lot of things to dwell in us richly. We allow food to dwell in us richly. We allow music to dwell in us richly. We allow our favorite television show that we record 
on a, on, a, on a regular basis to dwell in us richly. But can it be said of you that God's word dwells in you richly? Now, Steve didn't write this. God did. And he is saying, dear body, if you want internal bearings, if you want to be directed in your life, if you want that, then I want God's word to start dwelling in you richly as an individual. And notice what will happen. We will speak to and admonish one another with wisdom. Now, I fear what kind of advice we give when it's not dwelling in us richly. You might be careful to the advice that you're getting from one another. Notice also that we'll start to sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I want you to know that we're not to live a life that's like pitch perfect, okay? The, the movie where we just sing to one another all the time. It's not, he's not saying that the, everything at Mission View should be a, a musical. That we start singing to one another, how are you doing? That's crazy. But what he is saying is that it will affect your worship when you allow God's word to dwell in you richly. And what will happen is because you're doing that throughout the week, you'll start to sing psalms. Psalms are scripture set to music. That's what we try to do here. Hymns are songs about the character of God. It's theology. And spiritual songs are the songs about life. And what will happen is that you will have joy overflowing and something will come out of this mouth. It may not be a pleasant sound, but it will be a sound. Some people just sit. They never open their mouths. You got to know you're not obedient to what God says. He wants you to sing. And he wants us to enrich each other this way. The third internal virtue is honor. He says, in whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? He is saying, will it bring honor to and glory to God? And that is a question that you can ask. In the place that you're going to go Friday, will it bring honor and glory to God? Will this financial decision bring honor and glory to God? Will this be a wise decision? Will it bring honor and glory to God? That will go govern our life and allow us to be a people of our reputation, which is an amazing thing considering what we once were. Apostle Paul said in Romans, he says, What a wretched man I, I am. Who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ makes a difference. He allows us to have virtue. So where do we go from here? I want to give a threefold challenge. And we're going to do something that I have never done in 30 years of ministry. I'm going to give money back to you. In a moment, we're going to have a reverse offering. And you're saying, what in the world? The church is going to give me money today. That's awesome. There's one stipulation. It is real money. You're not allowed to spend it. And it's your choice as to whether you take it out of the basket. This is the only time you're allowed to take out of the basket, okay? Only time. Here's what you got to do, though. You got you to seal the deal. Number one is that you have to make a decision to repent of an old way still lingering in your life. You have to have an honest evaluation. Okay, yeah, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with my anger. I still struggle with this. You fill in the blank. Number two, you have to decide to put on Christ. 
you're going to decide to put on Christ by memorizing those two verses, dealing with the old way and the virtue that you want to put on. And then finally, you will get yourself a ranger buddy. You'll get somebody that will hold you accountable. I have put a bunch of Susan B. Anthony's in the basket. Now, they're not really Susan B. Anthony's because they're a rare coin. I couldn't find them. So make believe with me, okay? They are gold dollars, okay? And that's what they, they still say, in God we trust. And so if you are making the decision that you will repent, that you are going to decide to put on Christ, and that you will get accountability soon, find somebody prayerfully that that person will hold you accountable. If you have all those things, take the dollar. Don't spend it. Keep it somewhere on your person. And you can even make the deal that if uh, your accountability person doesn't have it on their person, they owe you lunch. You can get a, deal, uh, a lunch deal out of this. But as this last song is being sung, I want you to think about this. I don't want this to be a flippant thing. I want it to be something that we seriously think about. As we sing this last song, would you consider and take inventory of your life?